It is for FM News 101. Quiet, please. Ladies and gentlemen. You ready for the big show? Right. In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved Republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Live now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back. Back to Lars Larson Show, and welcome to Wednesday. I want to tell you something, and I'm going to warn you about the stories you're going to be hearing and seeing in the next 24 hours or so, because we just found out what the Democrats who run the legislature in Oregon in both chambers, they've got near to super majorities in both changers, chambers, although the Republicans did make some gains. But they've decided that they finally have to answer the huge concerns that the public has about what Measure 110, approved by voters by 58%, but what it did was it legalized hard drugs in Oregon. And it has been disastrous. And not just for the folks who overdose, but for everybody who's affected by all the criminals who are bringing the drugs in, selling the drugs, trafficking the drugs, and many of the people who are on the drugs who can't support that habit by working at a regular job, so they engage in criminal activity as well. And it puts a lot of people on the street, so it ramps up the homeless problem. It's got disaster written all over it. And finally, the public has said, this is, this is going too far. You have to fix it. And let me tell you how bad the situation is. I'm going to give you some actual numbers, and then I'm going to tell you what the Democrats are proposing. And in a lot of ways, what the Democrats are doing is like if you work at one of those places where when the boss walks in, everybody tries to look busy. Now, all you have to do is look busy. You don't actually have to accomplish anything. You just have to look like you're accomplishing something. That is what the Democrats are going to do. And I'll make the case they know that the proposed fix they have for Measure 110 will not work because it's baked into it that it is a failure. And I will prove that to you. And if I can't, I'm sure to get some naysayer calls. First, welcome to the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. 24 years we've been serving the Pacific Northwest with honestly provocative talk on a daily basis. And if you want to join this conversation, there's a reason we call it the best conversation in talk journalism. 866-HEY-LARS. And if you're a naysayer, we'll put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. You can send emails to me. That's easy to remember. Talk at LarsLarson.com. And you can vote in our poll on X. Should striking union workers get unemployment checks? Now, before you say that's crazy, let me tell you where the idea is coming from. Two bills currently before the House and Senate in Washington State in Olympia. State lawmakers, all of them Democrats, are saying when union workers decide to unemploy themselves by walking out on strike, shouldn't they get an unemployment check? And the answer is no, because number one, they were the result, they were the ones who decided to walk off the job, number one. Number two, are they available to take another job? You know that if you're on unemployment, you have to be available for work to qualify for unemployment. So if your boss decides a reduction in force and says, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to give you a pink slip, but it's not because it's something you did. It's not a firing for cause. You just don't have a job here anymore. You get unemployment. When union workers say, we're going to walk off the job to try to punish our employer to squeeze some more money out of them, well, at that point, 
you don't get an unemployment check. You did it yourself. You're not available for work, and you're not actively looking for work. That's the third criteria. So the Democrats are now proposing House Bill 1893, Senate Bill 5777, and we'll talk about it more later on. They are proposing that striking union workers will get unemployment checks. Now, your first conclusion, even if you're not an economist, is that means we're going to get strikes much more often from unionized workers, and they're going to last longer. Does anybody think that's good for anybody in the Northwest to have more strikes and longer strikes and striking workers who say, I'm not worried, I'm getting unemployment for being on the picket line? And do you think employers, taxpayers, who pay that unemployment tax on behalf of workers, do you think they ought to have to pay the cost? Because believe me, those employers are businesses, and they will be happy to pass the cost along to you and me. So... Vote in our Twitter poll or X poll, the poll on X, un uh, brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. Now, I've heard people actually try to tell me, Lars, the hard drug problem is not that bad in Oregon and Washington. Well, it is. Washington State wiped out its hard drug laws with a court decision. The legislature did the same kind of half fix because it's run by Democrats that Oregon is now proposing. And how bad has the problem become? Well, Washington State has a record number of fentanyl deaths. And guess what? Oregon now has the highest rate of fentanyl deaths in America. In one year, it increased 67% compared to the national average of going up 5%. Oregon was also ranked second highest in the nation for increases in overall drug deaths with an increase of 23%. But just on fentanyl, deaths last year from fentanyl in Oregon, more than 1,000. The nation is up 5%. Oregon is up 12 times that much. So... It's a big problem. Washington State saw overdose deaths up by over 34%. So today, well, actually late yesterday, we got word of what the Democrats are proposing. And here's what it is. And I'll be honest about the proposal. I'm not going to try to shade on it. I, I'm just going to say, look, they are saying we will make it illegal to use those drugs, including fentanyl, in public. They're not going to take away the ability to use the drugs out of sight of the public. So even if it's somebody living on the streets, all they need to do is turn toward a wall or go to an alcove and take the drugs, smoke it, shoot it, whatever they're going to do with it, um, and it becomes legal again. So legal use of hard drugs is still there unless you do it right out in public and unless somebody actually sees it like a cop. At that point, hard drugs are still legal. Second. They're going to make it a C misdemeanor. Now, let me give you an You might say, what? Well, I'm not a lawyer, Lars. Uh, I'm not a biologist either. I'm not a doctor. Um, well, I'll tell you what. A C misdemeanor. Do you know what is a C misdemeanor? I'll give you this example. It's a, it's a real one from the law. It is two 17-year-old teenagers having consensual sex with each other. Now, believe it or not, if you're under 18, it is technically illegal. When was the last time you heard of a prosecutor in Oregon actually prosecuting two 17-year-olds who had consensual sex? The answer is they don't bother with C misdemeanors. So any C misdemeanor may be bumped down to a violation. Now, in legal terms, that means a ticket. 
just like it is now. In Oregon, if you got caught using drugs in public, it's going to be a ticket. In this case, in the current situation, a ticket you don't even have to pay. All you have to do is call a phone number and talk to somebody about treatment. And guess what happened? They said, if we just talk to people about treatment, they'll go in. Well, in a year, the year after the law took effect, 1% of the people who got tickets even sought help from the hotline, and uh, they don't know whether any of them actually went into treatment. So the Democrats are planning a non-fix, and since they hold majorities in Salem, they'll likely pass this nonsense. And they'll come out to you and say, look, folks, we heard what you were saying about Measure 110. We know there's a problem. We know we've had over a 1,000 fentanyl deaths in the last year, and it's going up. We're the highest in the nation, so we fix the problem. Look, we've got a shiny new piece of legislation that isn't going to do a damn thing to fix the problem and get people into treatment. Glad to be with you on a Wednesday. Always glad to take your calls. 866-HEY-LARS. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. listening you're proving how smart you really are Lars thanks you that makes a lot of sense a lot of nonsense right you bloody well right you know you got a right to say this is the Northwest nonsense how much longer do we have to sit for this nonsense that great moment every day where Lars brings you the cold hard facts without any liberal wokeness from the daily dead fish wrapper or mainstream media bias so the ice and snow closed down schools for a week incompetent management at Portland public schools let that cold do tens of millions of dollars to in unnecessary damage to the buildings the kids used to be attending in so now almost 900 kids need a new place to learn so far PPS has fumbled that ball. Let me suggest a couple of solutions. Number one, the school district lost 17% of its students in the last five years as parents wake up to the woke indoctrination shoved down the throats of their kids. And I did the math. Portland has 8.1 million square feet of school space, which works out to 180 square feet per child. Brand new schools in America, I looked it up, average about two-thirds of that number, more like 120 square feet. So, we have a lot of underused buildings already and a dropping school population. Lots of people and companies reconfigured their space after the pandemic, including my flagship radio station, KXL, and they save big bucks by doing it. It's long past time for failing public schools to do the very same thing. The schools sort of figured out remote learning these last few years, kind of. For goodness sake, the next time classes shut down unexpectedly, can we please keep the kids learning online, you know, so the unionized teachers can actually do something to earn their paychecks? Our question of the day, and this one comes in from Randy Walker. Lars, can you please talk about the proposed bill in Oregon in their short legislative session coming up in February that would make a state property tax? Thank you, Randy Walker. Well, Randy, I talked about it last week when we first found out about it. You're right. Lawmakers in Salem are proposing a state property tax. Well, what's the property tax now? It's county-based, and most of the money goes to the counties, the cities, and the school districts. So the reason Salem wants control 
They want to take away control from local voters. If you have a statewide property tax, you're going to take the decision making to Salem where they can then just, you know, ignore the public and say, we don't have to talk about this at all. Now, today's Daily Grill. Insane. Are you completely insane? Ridiculous. They get more and more ridiculous. Flat out dumb. You're even dumber than I thought. Who deserves today's Lars Grill of the Day? Maybe they're just really, really stupid. Find out right now. Well, I got this email that suggested today's Daily Grill. It comes in from Shane Lovett, who wrote to the show, and he said, Lars, well, I'm at week, and we're going to talk about this more this hour, uh, has a piece today about a southwest Portland couple who had a tree fall on their house that they've been trying to get a permit to remove, only the city denied the permit. And now that the tree has fallen on the house and badly damaged their house, the city now wants them to pay for a permit to remove the stump and replant a tree. They are outraged. I have a suspicion this kind of thing is a product of their own voting history, although I don't know that. Then again, some tree huggers chime in about people are going to be scared of trees. Now all this damage has occurred. And she says, look, people, danger comes from everywhere. You could have an airplane door land on top of you. I kind of found it funny that they said those things, but they want to push their ban on guns and wear helmets and wear seatbelts and masks and all that to protect ourselves from ourselves. My own two cents, signed Shane. And our best email so far today, but you can always send more to talk at LarsLarson.com. John writes in, Lars, I just got my Northwest Natural gas bill. They charged me $142.30 for the gas I consumed, and then $58.58 for the Climate Commitment Act. That's Jay Inslee's carbon tax. Doing the math, it means it's a 41% tax rate for the Climate Commitment Act. Yes, they gave me a small credit for three months, but it's outrageous all the same. Thank Jay Inslee and the extreme green Democrats for making life unaffordable in Washington state. Kudos to Northwest Natural Gas for actually breaking out the separate charge on the bill. Signed, John. John, thanks very much. I appreciate that. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Let me go first to Brandon. Hey, Brandon, welcome to Wednesday on the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars. Uh, just want to talk to you about Measure 110. Uh, used to be a heroin addict. Uh, and I had to go through a program through Multnomah County called Start Court, and it was brutal. But there was consequences, right? Yep. So you 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 either obey by these rules, go or to you're treatment. going to prison. Yeah, go right. to treatment, or and you get a record even after you're out of prison because nobody went to prison very long for drugs. But you'd get a felony record, and that would screw your life up pretty good, wouldn't it? Yes, sir. But but I I had a seven year prison or prison sentence over my head, so I I chose to go to treatment and and change my life. So it's it's very black and white, and I think that well, uh, especially in Multnomah County, they are too soft on people now. What was that? Oh, they're too soft it, it, on people, Brendan. Helping. You said. Yes, sir. Yes, yes, sir. And and it's not helping anybody at all. Well, the fact is, the drug court used to get lots of people into treatment. That was when there was a felony that could be threatened, as you were. And it obviously worked out well for you. What the Democrats yeah. don't want to do is go back to something that actually works. They want to have something like a C misdemeanor that's going to be ignored by most of the addicts because it won't be enough. Well, I mean, you have carrot and stick. You need enough stick to get somebody into treatment. Clearly, the stick of a felony charge to you got you into treatment. Uh, ever since they dropped it, treatment numbers have dropped. 
people aren't going into treatment, and it's disastrous to the point of a thousand deaths from fentanyl just last year, making Oregon the number one place to die from fentanyl. So the death cult continues in the Northwest. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Ron in Tacoma. Hey, Ron, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. I take it you called in to talk about the offered bribe to the GOP's Cary Lake down in Arizona. Yeah, that's correct, Lars. I don't know if you listened to the whole thing. I needed I did. an hour after I listened to it. I sure did. And what caught my attention, I don't know if you caught this, but uh, when uh, when Jeff made the comment that to Kerry that uh, apparently the uh, cartels are running all 50 states, I, I wonder... No, uh, he said there there are Mexican drug cartels present in all 50 states. But he was trying to get convince her to drop out of the run for U.S. Senate. Apparently, they're worried that a real conservative will get elected. And the, the guy you're talking about, Jeff DeWitt, is the chair of the Republican Party for Arizona. So here you have the Republican chair trying to bribe Carrie Lake to drop out of the race for U.S. Senate. What should we make of that? Surprised I haven't heard his resignation this morning, but well, you know he's probably you a both. rhino, so he'll be like I a think, Democrat. Uh, by reputation, he is a rhino. You know who else you should be surprised by? He was offering big money from, as he said, and we're going to do a long. I'm going to do a long segment on this later on today. But he said these are people back east, so it's the folks back east who've got these piles of money. They they wanted to offer Carrie Lake a job at some company. If she dropped out, they wanted to offer campaign money if she dropped out. And they literally this this guy offers her on tape, says, what's the number? And she says, that'll get me to drop out and sell out. I wouldn't do it for a billion dollars. And that's the right response. But I'm amazed that Ron McDaniel, the national chair of the GOP, has not called for this guy's resignation already. But you see, Ron McDaniel, I think she's part of that GOP establishment, the country club Republicans that don't want conservatives like Donald Trump or Kerry Lake or anybody like them. It's a really sad situation, and I'm glad we're calling it out. I did it last night. I'll do it again today. You're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. The Lars Larson Show. Think of him as your concealed carry. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And I want to talk trees and stumps and houses that have trees fall on them with my friend Aaron Mesh, who is managing editor of Willamette Week. But Aaron, welcome to the show. And I have to start with some breaking news first. The Arizona GOP chairman has resigned. Now, have you been following this story the last 24 hours or so? Follow us. Are you on a bad line? Aaron, are you there? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can now. Um, I don't know if you follow the Carrie uh, Lake no, story. I have, I, have, I have not been following the, uh, the, or the Arizona GOP. Okay, Here, here's the thing. I, I, there are people out there who listen to this show, and they say, Lars, you never say anything bad about the Republicans. Well, yesterday I did, because it appears the chairman of the Republican Party in Arizona threatened the U.S. Senate candidate, Carrie Lake, and said, we'll offer you a job. We'll offer you money. Just name a number. And she said, she said flat out, I won't do it. Well, there's a recording of the party chair of the GOP offering the GOP candidate, Carrie Lake, money and a job to drop out of the Senate race and stay out for a couple of years. Just take a pause, as this guy said. Well, the word just came down. 
Uh, this guy has now admitted that he said all those things, and he's resigned his job. And he says, where it gets even better, Aaron, I mean, imagine if the uh, Democrat Party of Oregon, and I wouldn't put it past him in, in, in the Northwest, to go to somebody and say, we want you out of this race. Uh, we'll threaten you, maybe. We'll offer you money. We'll offer you a job, uh, big compensation. We want you out. That would be a major scandal. Um, he actually says, I said the things I regret, and I realized when hearing the recording, I was set up. I believe she orchestrated the whole situation, but he also says that he was told either resign or a more damaging recording will be released. And I'm trying to imagine if we just saw this guy's political career totaled, probably for a good long time, maybe forever. Uh, I, I'm wondering what could be more damaging than that. I, I always enjoy when the answer is she set me up. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it, and there's 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 actually a famous line from Marion Barry, the former mayor of D.C., isn't there? And it was the B word set me up. Right. That's that's what I'm that's what I'm referencing. I just was attempting not to break FCC rules. No. Well, you you we'll keep you clean. We always can work around it. But what I you know, it's just that a lot of people say, Lars, you never say anything bad about your own party or your own conservatives. Yeah, sure. I do. When when there's an opportunity in this case, this is sleazy because, you know, that in Oregon and most states, if you offer anybody something of value uh, in order to vote or not vote, run or not run, you've committed a crime. You've actually committed a crime for which you can go to prison. So I've, I wanted to bring that up because it's breaking news in the last couple of minutes. Do you want to go to trees now? Happy to. Would you mind sketching out? I mentioned it earlier because a caller also mentioned it, but uh, Sarah and Joel Bond had a nice home, apparently, until a 150-foot tree fell on it. But there's a lot more to it than that. So they're not they are dealing with a situation that I think is not uncommon in the past week after this ice storm. Um, given the winds and the ice and um, and the, the various really bad conditions all. Um, the, the situation they face, again, not uncommon, is that in their property a tree fell. Uh, I can think of at least 11 other incidents in which a tree fell on someone's home in the Portland uh, in, in the Portland city limits. Um, one situation. house had three trees fall on it, apparently not it's simultaneously, fall. but one right after the other. What makes their story, I think, especially galling and why it has really captured the interest of our readers today, um, there's, there's very high readership on this story. And I think part of the reason why is because uh, nearly two years before this tree fell, the bonds had asked the city of Portland for uh, permission to cut the tree down, said, we think this tree is dangerous. We think it's going to fall on our house. We'd like to cut it down. And the city rejected their application for a tree removal permit, saying that the tree uh, appears healthy, quote, appears healthy and not dead, dying or dangerous at time of inspection. And the tree is more than 10 feet from an attached structure. Well, the tree managed to leap that distance of 10 feet and land in their upstairs bathroom. And it could it could well have killed their six year old daughter, Jojo, who was upstairs at the time the Doug fur came down. Right. It missed her by by several feet. Uh, it did not miss the closet in which the family cat was residing, uh, whose name is Binks. Uh, the closet was sent through the floor uh, of the second story into the first story living room with the cat apparently still inside it. 
Uh, for for eight days, they believed Binks to be dead, but Binks had in the and somehow riding in this makeshift elevator created by the tree, Binks had escaped and fled to the basement, where he. I suspect that took off days. at least two of those nine lives, didn't it? Oh yeah, he's down. He's down to seven. Easy. <laughs> um, uh, you know, the, the family has has every right to be furious and uh, to make matters even more infuriating, the city now says they need a permit to remove the stump. Um, and if they don't get that permit, and if they don't ask for that permit, they can be fined. And they also have to spend out of pocket to plant a new tree to replace the tree. And if they don't do that, they can be fined. Now, i got to tell you something, Aaron. We've been talking about these issues about trees and permits and all that for literally on this show almost three decades. And one of the things that's always galled me is you say, I own a house. And you go, do you really own it? Do you own that tree? Uh, could you cut the tree down if you want to? No, I have to go to my government master's hat in hand with some cash if I want to cut my own tree down. I've always had a philosophical objection to that garbage. I, I understand why. I can see why you would. Now, of course, there is the other the other point of view, which is that the the tree canopy is important to the not to just the city hall, but the residents of the city. It's something that we cherish in this city. Uh, and that uh, it, it makes sense that you would want to place some strictures around the question of whether or not any given tree can be re reduced out of that canopy. Um, I think well, but it doesn't belong to them. I mean, I saw the language you quote. Sophie Peel quoted this in her story at WWeek.com. Removal will significantly affect a neighborhood character based on the tree's attributes. It's a tree with bark. It's 150 feet tall. It'll do a job on your house. Visibility of the tree to the public or past removals of trees in the area. So people who don't own a tree get to tell you, we think it wouldn't look as good if we took the, if you took your tree down. So we are forbidding you from taking your tree down. If the city wants to own it, why don't you say you own it? Went through my house. Pay me for the house. Lars, I just supply the stories. You supply the, the outrage. <laughs> I just it, it, this this maybe this will wake people up. I mean, I, I don't know if anybody's ever tried a serious effort to say if you don't own the tree, you don't say what happens to it. If you think it looks nice, then give me an incentive to leave it up. Otherwise, I'm going to take it down instead of the looking at it the other way. I own my house, except the city gets to tell me whether or not I have to have a tree, a house destroying tree on my property because it looks good to my neighbors. You know, heck with that. If your neighbors want a tree, let them plant a 150-foot tree in their yard. <laughs> and uh, and bear the risk of it falling through their living room. That's what comes with it. I mean, look, uh, uh, Aaron, I no longer, I, I used to have about 40 fir trees in my, around my house. I don't anymore. But, uh, but, you know, 40 fir trees, we were well aware. Those things or even limbs from them can come down and do serious damage. They can hurt people, too. And if, I hope, you know, I don't hope for lawsuits very often, Aaron, but in this case... These people went to the city, the city said, and they said, it's dangerous. And the city said, it looks good. You can't do it. Uh, I hope they sue the, the daylights out of Ted Wheeler and the city of Portland. If they do, we'll be the first to report it.
and we will follow you up. You can read the whole story at wweek.com. It was written by young Sophie Peel, who did a fantastic job with it. That's Aaron Mesh, who's managing editor at Willamette Week. I'm glad to get your calls. It's a Wednesday. And uh, not only that, 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. And in Washington at the legislature, there are Democrats now proposing that if you go on strike, you get unemployment pay while you're out on the picket line. Should striking workers get unemployment checks? I'd vote no. Vote any way you like at Lars Larson Show. Saying the things you wish you could say more with Lars. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get your calls. I think you're going to find this amazing, that Democrats in Olympia, in this case, I mean, the Democrats in Salem are doing enough damage, but in Olympia, they have two bills, one's in the House, one's in the Senate, and I figure given the composition of the legislature, they're likely to get approved, they're likely to end up as signed or bills that will end up on Jay Inslee's desk for his signature. But the idea is so crazy I don't, I, I think if you put it to a public vote, the public would vote it down in a heartbeat. Now, do you believe that we should have a state-run unemployment system? Actually, I'd prefer one that is privately run, uh, like an awful lot of workers' comp insurance, depending on the state, is offered up by private companies, and it's much more efficient to do it that way. In this case, these bills propose that if you are a striking union member, you've walked off the job, you've voluntarily left your job, you are not available to take another job, and you're not actively seeking a job, that if these bills pass and they're signed into law by Jay Inslee, those striking workers would get unemployment checks. So, should striking union workers get unemployment checks? I would vote no. The poll on X is found at Lars Larson Show on X, formerly known as Twitter. It's also found on our website at LarsLarson.com, and it's brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. Let me go first to, uh, let's go first to Karen. Hey, Karen, what's on your mind today? Oh, hello, uh, Lars. Um, yeah, I, I'm sorry. I'm not too expert t uh, talking on the radio. <laughs> That's all right. Um, what, 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 what did you call in to either comment or well, ask about? Would, I live in uh, the Myrtle Point area of Oregon. I guess that's the southwest. Southern Oregon, yeah. Yes, I've listened to your show for three years, as uh, all, all the conservative talk shows. Um, I, I guess you're on KWRO. I'm a disabled... I am. Uh, I am. <laughs> I'm Karen, disabled... I, I, I kind of, I, I would love it if you, if you got uh, to the thing you called like in about. I'd like to know, right, thank you. Um, I have a wood stove, and I am uh, desperate to save the, uh, the wood stove from being confiscated by the state. What is this? How if if it's an existing wood stove, uh, any, for a long time, Oregon has re required that a wood stoves have to be certified. So if you have an old wood stove and you want to replace it, it has to be replaced by a certified stove, meaning has a catalytic converter and meets certain pollution requirements. And then there are places like Eugene where they'll say, if we have an inversion uh, where, where the air doesn't move much, uh, you can only run your wood-burning appliance if it is the only source of heat in your home. And that varies from city and county to county. Um, but they're not outlawed yet. But if you took your old wood stove out, 
and you wanted to put a new one in, it would have to be a certified one, number one. And number two, you can't sell the old one, period. You aren't allowed to sell it. It is illegal to sell it. As for outlawing them altogether, I figure that's on the agenda of the liberal left in Oregon. And right now, the liberal left runs the House, the Senate, the governor's office, and every other statewide office. So uh, they're on the way to exactly what you're fearing. And I appreciate the call. Let's go to Ken. Uh, Ken, thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Yeah, thanks for having me, uh, Lars. Um, so I'm calling in about the trees. I'm a Lake Oswego resident, specifically in the Palisades neighborhood, and I'm a developer and general contractor. To set a little backstory, but one of my neighbors for over four years has lobbied the city of Lake Oswego, along with spending about three grand with arborists to get these six trees down in their front yard that look dangerous, they seem dangerous, and there's fungi in them. So. They called me and said, how can we make this happen and get these down during the storm? And I go, well, there's a little secret here I'll tell you about, and it's called an emergency tree permit. So we got a new arborist out, inspected the trees, got a permit in one day, and the very next day we took six trees down with a 100 that's foot a, That's a great tip. Day. Now, what does it take to get an emergency tree permit? You need an arborist who will say this tree is a potential hazard? That's right, and um, and it isn't just visual. Um, you can do some visual inspections, like the roots are coming up, and with the ice on the ground, you can kind of see the the, the ground, you know, moving a little bit. Uh, one of the trees in this group kind of was leaning out towards the road, um, so that visually helped. But what really helped was the storm and the condition. You try to do these tree permits in the middle of summer, and they don't have much to do, right? The city. Yep. Um, so they are going to make you get in line, and then that you post the notice, and then that tells all the tree-loving people that you were referring to earlier that don't have trees in their yard to tell us what we can do with the ones in my yard. So why? why can I ask you something? Right in now. your business, why wasn't there more pushback even years ago from developers and from homeowners to say, I bought the house, it's my house, it's my yard, it's my tree, you have nothing to say about it. I understand it may look good to other people. It looks dangerous or it looks unsightly to me. Why wasn't there more pushback against that? Yeah, it, I mean, I one of my worst or maybe best scenarios was uh, in 1998. I've been out of a while, but over in Wilsonville, I was trying to put a nice apartment project up, and I'll make it quick, but literally every time we go to a city or planning commission meeting where I'm trading apartment for reducing apartment numbers for saving trees. So I, I learned way back then that you you got to work with the neighbors, you got to work with the community ahead of time. And I, I have a couple projects in Lake Oswego, so we've collaborated more with the neighbors ahead of time. And that's actually what we did with these people. We went to all the neighbors to go, we think these are unsafe. Will you call the city and tell them, hey, this is an extreme danger. Please sign that emergency permit. That's not a bad way to go about it, although I would think it'd be incredibly arrogant for me to tell my next-door neighbor what they're allowed to do with their property and what they're not allowed. But, Ken, thanks for the call. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. The Lars Larson. Quiet, please. Ladies and gentlemen. You ready for the big solo? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Lars. This 
is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Live now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a Wednesday, and it's my pleasure to be with you. It's also the Radio Northwest Network, which has served the Pacific Northwest states, Oregon, Washington, and Idaho for the past 24 years. Now, we've got a corrupt member of Congress. Now, I know that some of you might just say, well, most of them are corrupt, or even all of them are corrupt. But in the case of Congresswoman Val Hoyle, a freshman member, uh, a Democrat as well, uh, it seems she's under investigation. It has been. We've talked about it on the air before. In fact, we've talked to Monique Despain about it, who's running for the U.S. Congress in Oregon's 4th District to replace the incumbent and corrupt Val Hoyle. But, Monique, welcome back to the program. Hi, Lars. Thanks for having me back. I'm glad to have you back. Would you mind, you say it because, I'll tell you what, I can, I've told people before what I think Val Hoyle did that was wrong, and she's got a bunch of problems. LaModa is one of them. Cash from LaModa is one of them. Uh, uh, contracts that were allocated to people connected to LaModa while she was uh, Bureau of Labor and Industries uh, uh, Commissioner is, is part of it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and you're asking that the U.S. Attorney for the District of Oregon, so part of the Biden Justice Department, expand the investigation into LaModa and uh, Shamia Fagan, which is where it is now, to include Congresswoman Val Hoyle. Tell us why. Well, it only makes sense that for a complete and comprehensive investigation that they would include all of the elected officials that were doing business with LaModa and the executives, uh, just like Shamia Fagan was. And, La and LaModa, by the way, is the very large weed uh, marijuana retailer in Oregon that was giving literally stacks of cash in some cases, thousands of dollars paid in cash. I don't know whether it was in brown paper bags or not, but it was it was paid in cash rather than by check. And they were giving this money to people like Shamia Fagan uh, and to other Democrats. And we know for a fact that Val Hoyle got some of that money for her campaign, correct? That's right. That's right. Um, I don't know how much was in cash, but we know from news reports that at least $26,000 was donated to the interested parties um, with LaModa and also the nonprofit Endeavor that received that over half a million dollar uh, publicly, federally funded, federal tax dollar funded grant. Yeah, and in fact, that grant, and just so people understand, why would LaModa have any connection to a private nonprofit? Because the two people who are the owners of LaModa, or are the owners of LaModa, I think the business is in some considerable difficulty right now, to say at least, um, that they mm -hmm. said, well, we'll run a training program for people to work in the retail weed business. And you think, okay, somebody who's trained to stand there at a cash register and sell marijuana. Sounds like training should last maybe a day at most. Uh, but uh, but they they took a half a million dollars or almost a half a million dollars of federal money that Val Hoyle had control of as labor commissioner and said, we'll use this to train. I think it was four people to work as marijuana retailers. What was that? Interns. Yes. Four interns. It was an apprenticeship program. Half the, a million uh, dollars. Was, what, what should the public make? Mm -hmm. You're running for office, so it's yours to say. But what should the public make? 
of somebody who says, yeah, we're going to train a few interns and it's going to cost half a million dollars. Right. Um, and that, that uh, the commission, the, the, um, it's the or bullies, an Oregon State Apprenticeship Training Council was under in within Bully uh, while Val Hoyle was the commissioner of Bully, and it's uh, there is a record that's been reported in the papers that um, that committee that council was dubious at best about that much money going to a program to a nonprofit that was had just been formed within a couple of weeks before getting the money. Uh, so anyway, there was some hesitation, and we have. Uh, uh, records uh, that show that Val Hoyle, as commissioner, made it very clear that she wanted the council to reconsider that grant. In fact, she even insisted that Lamoda Endeavor, the people advocating to get this money, that they'd be given another extra month to have yet another meeting and persuade the council that they should get that $554,000. Um, and then, and then they did have that meeting and then shortly after they were awarded that grant. And what's really interesting and voters need to know is that grant was withdrawn, um, very shortly after Val Hoyle left the job to become our congresswoman, um, and there's a New bully commissioner. That commissioner retracted that that grant. Of course, some of it had already been spent. There were four interns. There was also uh, a uh, executive director that um, I'm trying to remember her name what now. Was his Wasn't it a guy? And what was his paycheck for training interns? Ninety-seven thousand dollars to Laura Vega, uh, the executive director of um, Endeavor who was also an associate, an employee of, or a board member of uh, LaModa. And she also was a donor to Val Hoyle. Let me ask you something. Monique Despain is running for Congress in Oregon's 4th District. Do you suspect there's a tie between the $550,000 grant to this nonprofit connected to LaModa and LaModa's uh, contributions to Val Hoyle's campaign? It certainly looks like that. Now, what my team has done is put together a, a website, a microsite called whatsvalhiding.com, and we've pulled all the news uh, stories together into a timeline. And when you look at the chronology, it, it, it just uh, it just seems a no-brainer. Something wrong is going on, and it needs to be investigated by the federal government. Is Val Hoyle cooperating in the investigation? I don't know that. We well, see, had well, a my understanding is they've demanded her smartphone because she apparently conducted some public business on the smartphone, oh, yes. and she has yes. flatly refused to let the investigators look at her yes. smartphone to determine they, if it's something other than personal use or was the public business she transacted. Did, did she also you know, do yes. some communication with LaModa? Because if this was a quid pro quo, you know, we'll get you the half million dollar grant. You know, we get some campaign contributions. That's yes. illegal, right? Well, yes, and she should have recused herself from any participation in that committee's decision to award the grant. You're right. And to answer your question, uh, we what's thou hiding? The reason we put that site together is that's the question because you're right. It's bully her own or agency that she ha led. Uh, using the term leadership loosely, she um, 
She refuses to turn over her cell phone, and you're right. She is still not turning it over. So, yes, she's failing to cooperate with Bully. Um, what she did was cherry-pick. She personally reviewed her text messages on that personal phone, <laughs> cherry-picked the one she wanted to turn over. Maybe her lawyer, her public records lawyer who used to work for Kate Brown, those are the ones that screened the text messages that they would turn over to Bully. Um, so, so we're taking the suspect we're to. money, just so people understand, the suspect in the investigation is allowed to decide what evidence the investigators get to see when the suspect is facing down the barrel of, of possible criminal activity. And she gets to say, I'll tell you what you're allowed to see. That's Monique Despain. She's running for the U.S. Congress in Oregon's 4th Congressional District to replace Val Hoyle. And as far as I'm concerned, I think Val Hoyle is corrupt. Back in a moment, we're going to talk about Terry Lake and what's happened in Arizona and corruption within the Republican ranks. And I'll get to your phone calls and emails, too. The Alter Lives. Wounded Warrior Project long-term support programs do whatever it takes to help our most severely ill or injured veterans live independently at no cost for life so that they might stand at ease. Find out how you can help at findwwp.org. At the American Veterinary Medical Association annual convention in Indianapolis, we caught up with Dr. Tom Meyer of Vancouver, Washington. Visits to the veterinary hospital are not very rewarding either for the client or the patient. We need to get our patients into the veterinary hospital so that it is not a traumatic experience. We need to be learning about their behavior and rewarding them to make it an enjoyable experience in coming to the veterinary practice. There's more valuable information at avma.org. happy, informed, and always guessing what he'll say next. Here's Lars Larson. I'm not going to let these people who hate our country tell me not to run. You should call them and tell them to get behind me. That is the voice of Carrie Lake, and Carrie Lake is running for the United States Senate. And that audio recording was made just less than a year ago, March of last year. And I want to tell you what it's all about, because it's one of the most extraordinary stories in this year's campaign season. But first, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. If you want to jump into the best conversation and talk journalism, it's here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. If you happen to be a naysayer, I'd be glad to put you right to the head of the list, as long as you're willing to answer some phone or some questions from me as well. But this story about Kerry Lake is kind of extraordinary. Here's the gist of it. It broke yesterday. And what we found out is that Kerry Lake, who ran for governor of Arizona, and she lost. Although I have to tell you parenthetically, she was running in a race for governor against a young lady by the name of Katie Hobbs. And Katie Hobbs was at that time the Secretary of State. So she was in charge of elections in Arizona. So in other words, it's kind of like playing a ball game where some of the opposing players are also the referees. So no big surprise, uh, Katie Hobbs got elected as governor. 
She's running in a race in which she controlled the election and controlled a lot of the stuff behind the scenes. And then, voila, she wins and becomes governor of Arizona. So Carrie Lake loses officially, although I think she was, honestly, she was cheated out of the win. And she decides instead to run for the United States Senate. Now, guess what happens next? She's very popular. She is endorsed by Donald Trump. She endorses Donald Trump. She is a conservative, by all accounts. And, uh, you know, has, has she, like mo many people in politics, been involved in on the other side of the aisle? Well, Ronald Reagan was a Democrat for a long time. Ronald Reagan was a union official for a long time. Carrie Lake, uh, at least if you believe what she says, and I think I do, is a conservative. So what happens? Well, there are people in politics in America who are trying to take Donald Trump out of the race. Good example of that or good evidence of that is the candidacy of Nikki Haley, which wasn't going along very well at all. She appeared to be coming in third to Ron DeSantis until last December when a bunch of people with big checkbooks said, we're going to get behind, uh, we're going to get behind Nikki Haley and we're going to see if we can give her a push so that she can knock Donald Trump out of the race. Well, you can see how well that has worked out so far. Donald Trump won big in Iowa. In fact, it was an historic win in Iowa. And then uh, Nikki Haley went on to New Hampshire, and she came in second. She came in about 12 points behind Donald Trump. But I guess for the backers of Nikki Haley, they view that as a victory. She, she says she's going on to the South Carolina primary next. So apparently they're still backing her at that point. Why were the big money types behind knocking Donald Trump out to put in somebody like Nikki Haley, who's a rhino Republican, a more establishment moderate Republican instead of Donald Trump? Because... The folks who make all the money uh, out of politics and out of government want to have one of those go-along, get-along Republicans as president. They'd rather have that. In fact, they'd rather have a Democrat like Joe Biden than to have somebody who's a very conservative like Donald Trump. So this takes us right back to Kerry Lake. So while Nikki Haley is getting big money from the establishment to push her along and maybe push Trump out, what's happening to Kerry Lake? Well... The recording was made in March of last year, and it stayed secret until the Daily Mail got a copy of it. And by last night, everybody in the world on social media had a copy of a rather extensive recording of a conversation between Kerry Lake and the guy who was, until he announced his resignation today, the chairman of the Republican Party of Arizona. His name is Jeff DeWitt. And the conversation recorded is one of the most extraordinary things I've heard in American politics in my entire, entire career. So let's start off with Jeff DeWitt, then still yesterday, the chair of the Arizona Republican Party, trying to talk a very popular candidate for U.S. Senate out of running for the U.S. Senate with money. Take a listen. Is there a number at which... I can be bought. <laughs> That's what it's about. You can take a pause for a couple of years. No. Let me go right back to what you're doing. <laughs> No. 10 million, 20 million, 30, no, no, no. A billion, no. This is not about money. This is about our country. Yeah, so Kerry Lake says to Jeff DeWitt, no amount of money is going to knock me out of this race. And he says, well, not out. Just take a pause. You know, take a couple of years. And, uh, and, and then, then you can run again, but not right now. Well, I think Kerry Lake realizes, like Donald Trump does, the time is right now. You've got to save the country right now. 
And Carrie Lake then calls out the corruption of Jeff DeWitt and the big money people that were trying to bribe her to get out. Take a listen to that. There are very powerful people that want to keep you out. Upstairs. I know what they do. What they're willing to put their money where their mouth is in a big way. So, this conversation never happened. This is crazy, though. They should want me. I'm a great candidate. People love me. These people are corrupt. These people well, are Maybe you're right. They are right. They are corrupt. Now, imagine this. This is Jeff DeWitt admitting maybe some of the people that I'm there to make the offer to carry a leg get out of the race. There will be a job, a good job with a big paycheck, and there will be money to back your political campaign in the future. And Carrie Lake says, hold on, these people are corrupt. And he admits it. He says, well, maybe they are, but that's what they're offering right now. And she correctly identifies them. This is part of that band of globalists. Listen to that. They're going to try to have me murdered. I don't doubt that either. If that stuff that came out last week is right about the cartel stuff, they see the cartels operating in 50 states right now. Like all 50. So she says, well, they're going to try to have me murdered if I won't drop out of the race. And he says, well, yeah, the cartels, they're present in all 50 states. And then, and then Carrie Lake is actually offered a job. It, it's not on the tape, but I've listened to the tape. Uh, this is, this is Mr. DeWitt saying, well, you know, I've talked to these people and they're willing to arrange a nice position for you somewhere where you get a paycheck. In almost every state in America, if you offer somebody something of value, cash, diamonds, uh, you know, a job, any, a promotion, any of that stuff, you're breaking the law. So take a listen to what she says. So what, what, what's going on? Who is it? What? Forget the who. Let me just tell you the what. Let's just say there are people calling around saying, gosh, no, they can't repeat this. Never repeat this. If you say no, don't. If you say, I got offered to buy that. Yeah. Because then we lose our ability to get things done other in the future. Yeah, we lose our ability to get things done in the future if we admit that, hey, you know, somebody was offering me a job. And he even says, forget this conversation ever happened. And he says, I'm not going to tell you who's doing it. And then Carrie Lake talks about this being a hill to die on. Because they don't own me. And it pisses me off. Yeah, it's not about ownership. It's about control. I don't know if it's about control. It's about... Being on the team, I guess that. You know what I mean? They want to be on the team. They want you to be on their team. But Just team. You know? But if they're pushing a globalist agenda, I can't do that. So what do they want? What do they want me to do? They want you to stay out for two years. They want you to stay out for two years. So we're not trying to control you. We just want you to be on our team. And if you'll do that, heck, we got lots of money to back your political career. We got a job for you. But don't talk about it. Don't tell anybody this conversation happened. That's how sleazy it gets. Jeff DeWitt has now resigned his spot. The Lars Larson Show. Here's Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you and glad to get your phone calls in a moment. Usually every year we go to SHOT Show, the shooting, hunting, outdoor trade show in Las Vegas. This year was one of the few years that we missed, but I still wanted to talk to some of the significant people who are showing up at this major event down in Vegas. And one of them is Peter Forcelli, who joins me now. Ms. Forcelli, 
Glad to have you on, and I'm going to want you to explain to my audience your background because I so appreciate what you did, uh, what now is about 14 years ago, when you outed the federal government for the, I would call them the gun crimes of the federal government. So, Peter Forcelli, welcome to the program. It's an honor to be here. And this is my first shot show. What a tremendous, uh, just unbelievable place. Great people here. Um, it's, it's been just absolutely amazing. Absolutely. And, and, I, and it's one of the reasons I miss going, because I like talking to the people like you who come, but I also like seeing all the things that are on display, because I'm a gun enthusiast, too. My audience knows that I'm completely in favor of the Second Amendment and private ownership of guns and reducing restrictions by the government. And you worked for the ATF. I did. I worked there for 20 years. Uh, well, I, I was a, a homicide detective in New York City uh, before that, and we were working on cases that involved people misusing firearms and crimes of violence. And I joined the ATF to go after those sorts of cases. And for my career, that's what we did. Um, you know, I, I do have some concerns about what's going on with the organization now under the new director. I, I've never seen the organization uh, in such a uh, just a, a stance of kind of being against the industry. Uh, in fact, I know during the tenures of Tom Brandon, who was acting director for a while, and B. Todd Jones, who was uh, before him, um, they believed that the industry was a good partner uh, in preventing gun crimes from happening. So this turn of events is, is unfortunate. And, you know, it, it, it's not necessarily related to what I went through back in the, when I blew the whistle on Fast and Furious, but, uh, you know, it's indicative of that sometimes organizations get it wrong, and people within those organizations have a duty to step up and make things right. You know, I, I want people to know what, what went on because, Ms. Forcelli, um, let's see, most of, an awful lot of younger people listening to this will hear Fast and Furious and think we're talking about a series of movies. What we're talking about is a program run during the uh, Obama administration in which effectively, and you correct me if I'm wrong, the federal government said, let's surreptitiously allow the straw purchase of firearms in America knowing that those firearms are going to be put in the hands of people associated with Mexican drug cartels. Did I get any of that wrong? No. Um, in fact, what was going on is you had a group of agents in Phoenix that were doing exactly that. But in some ways, it's worse. Because what was happening is, like, my group was involved in interdicting firearms that were bound for Mexico for years. Um, we intercepted firearms after we got confessions from people. And look, the tips that we got came from members of the industry. Ninety percent of the cases that we generated came from legitimate gun dealers who, you know, someone would come into their store with a bag full of money saying, I want all the AK variant rifles you have on the shelves. And they would tip us off. And we would interdict those firearms so that they would never wind up hurting anybody. So what happened was a new group was stood up during the Obama administration and they took a different position and they allowed those transfers to occur and they watched those firearms right off into the sunset. But what happened um, was those guns, because they were showing up at crime scenes, were being traced. So the dealers reached out to ATF and the prosecutors in Phoenix and said, hey, we don't feel comfortable selling these guns to these people because we know that they're turning up at crime scenes. And people in that Phoenix Group 7 and the, the U.S. Attorney's Office, which is important to point out, met with those dealers and encouraged them to continue to sell firearms to people that they knew were trafficking them to the cartels. And the sad part is now, as you're probably aware, the government of Mexico is suing many of these dealers and these folks were doing exactly what they were told to do by the United States government, which to me is a, just a deep betrayal. I'd agree with you. And Ms. Forcelli, correct me if I'm wrong, but the theory was we let these guns be sold illegally, then we'll be able to trace where they go and we'll, we'll find the path you know, to the bad guys, except the ATF already knew pretty well 
from having run Operation Quarterback, a similar deal with the cooperation of the Mexican government under President Bush, that it wasn't going to work. So they already knew it wasn't going to work. So there was another agenda at work, wasn't there? There was. And look, the, the whole concept that they were going to take down a cartel with... Look, DEA had a very robust presence in Mexico. They had a network of informants. They had vetted units of Mexican soldiers who had background checks and whatnot. If they couldn't take down the cartels with the narcotics conspiracy laws, the idea that we were going to do it with straw purchasing cases was, I mean, delusional, really. There's no other way to put it. So, I mean, it, it's unfortunate. But, yeah, the, the, the Bush case has nothing to do with the case that happened during the Obama administration. The Obama case was far more more nefarious and um the, the interesting well, it thing didn't is, involve the mexican government did it no it did not it did not so, uh, so bush look, had the cooperation of the mexicans uh obama did not and you thought it was going to work without the cooperation of mexican authorities in tracing all this that seems especially foolish it is and look the, the the reality is is the body count was growing in mexico long before border patrol agent brian terry who was a hero was murdered with a, a firearm that was part of that investigation yep. um and look there were people in atf myself included who were asking questions all along saying hey what are you doing this doesn't sound legitimate and we were told hey we're doing something different no one in a million years um who worked for atf that did things right would have thought that that different was walking guns um into the hands of murderers i mean the cartels I mean, we see See what they're doing now and look they've grown in strength and they've grown in their ability to reach out and do things to people in different parts of mexico and it's difficult to you know to really think about it because it's true in some ways the u.s government helped arm them and get them to the position where in many instances they're beating mexican law enforcement and mexican military components in battles i'm talking to peter forcella the atf agent who blew the whistle and when you did that june of twenty eleven you show up in front of congress and you say look i'm gonna tell you about the bad things that are happening in this agency what you got for it initially i know you finally got to some kind of satisfaction but what you got initially correct me if i'm wrong is you got retaliation from your own government for telling congress about the bad deeds of an agency you worked in Correct. I spent four years uh, fighting to protect my reputation and keep my job. Um, so in the end, I prevailed because the decisions that were made by federal prosecutors and the, the decisions that were made by people within that group that were working that case were all documented. So in the end, I prevailed. But look, the thing that, that troubled me is, you know, I retired two years ago. Uh, I My oath didn't come with an expiration date. I think we have a duty to do the right thing and protect the Second Amendment is one of those things. And I know some folks think that ATF, um, most ATF agents are not pro-gun. That's, that's not true. I only met two ATF agents in my career that I would describe as anti-gun, one of whom almost became the director. But that's why I, I'm putting out this book in March is to tell the real story about what happened because not everybody that was involved in that case not everybody that had blood on their hands uh, was held accountable and you know it kind of got swept under the rug so now that I'm retired and I can speak freely without worrying about losing my job and the ability to feed my family I'm gonna name names and set the record straight do you think uh, and I want people to take a look at the book but do you think today ATF agents who are in the same or similar position to you and decide to come out and say I'm gonna tell the Congress that has the oversight authority I'm going to tell them what's going on. Do you think they're safe doing it today? 
No, but I think that there are still folks who will do it because they believe in the job, they believe in the mission, they believe in the oath. Um, look, I knew that when I spoke up that it was going to be a rough ride, but I did it. And I'm not special. I'm just, you know, a guy who raised my hand to the people and said I was going to do the right thing. Mr. Forcelli, remind my audience again the name of the book because they're going to want to read the whole story about how Fast and Furious came to the public and about the people behind it, including most especially you. What is the name again? The name of the book is The Deadly Path, and the subtitle is How Operation Fast and Furious and Bad Lawyers Armed Mexican Cartels. It's available on Amazon now for pre-order, but it'll hit the shelves on March 5th, and I would love for your folks to read it. And, you know, I have told people I'm an open book. If people have questions, <laughs> um, reach out, and I'm happy to set the record straight. But, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm honored to be here today, and I appreciate your time. I'm looking forward to reading it, Ms. Forcelli, and thank you so much. I very much appreciate your time. Thank you. Have a great day. That is Peter Forcelli, the ATF whistleblower who blew the whistle on his own agency. The story is coming out in his book in a couple of months. Glad to be with you. We'll be glad to take your calls in a moment at 866-HEY-LARS. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I've kind of neglected callers today, and I didn't mean to do that, but sometimes you just get some great interviews, like talking to an ATF whistleblower actually made a difference, and then you ask him, hey, is it still safe for people at the ATF to actually blow the whistle when they see corrupt things going on in their agency? And he said, no, of course not. But there's still people who are brave enough to do it. Glad to be with you on the Radio Northwest Network. Always glad to take your calls. This segment of the show brought to you by NickShivers.com for an instant offer to sell your home immediately. No showings, no hassles, and you pick the closing date. NickShivers.com for details. Now, our poll on X today has to do with two bills before the Washington legislature, House Bill 1893, Senate Bill 5777. Now, what they're proposing is that if somebody goes on strike, that means unionized workers, so they walk off the job by their own choice. They are then not available for work, and they are not looking for a job, which are two of the requirements required to get unemployment checks. But the Democrats in Olympia want to qualify striking workers to receive unemployment pay while they are refusing to work. If that makes sense to you, you might be a Democrat. You could also be a naysayer. And I'm kind of honestly surprised. We have a lot of union listeners on the show. I hear from them all the time by email and by calls. Should striking union workers get an unemployment check? My answer would be no, but I'd, I'd love to hear the naysayer try to defend this crazy idea that's actually being proposed as a law by Democrats in Olympia. You can find the poll question on X at Lars Larson Show and on our website at LarsLarson.com. Brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. Let's go to Matthew. Hey, Matthew, thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network. What's on? On your mind. Hey, Lars, I was just calling as a follow-up to the lady that asked about the wood stoves. Yep. So you had most of the information correct. Uh, Thank you. This is what I've done for 28 years is fireplaces, so I thought I'd bring a little bit of extra information. 
So, yes, if it's an uncertified stove pre-1986, it's not legal to install it in your home. But the caveat comes in, or to sell it, yes. And so the other thing that happens is uh, more enforcement into that rule, and people that have an old wood insert that's not a certified one and doesn't have a liner, they have to be uninstalled to properly clean and clean the flue. Well, it's not legal to put it back in. And so now, you have to do it yourself. Tenancy, if you're going to do it, the happy homeowner has to do it himself, right? Right. Many of the chimney sweeps that used to service those, um, due to insurance and more extreme federal guidelines, they're, they're all bowing out. They're like, we can't touch it. We're not going to. You need a new stove with the liner and it's certified. Otherwise, we won't work on it. Now, so her bottom line question, let me, let me jump to her bottom line, Matthew. I want you to contribute, but... She wanted to know, how do we stop them from outlawing them altogether? And I told her that given the direction that it's going, I fully expect that at some point the Democrats will say, let's just outlaw it altogether. But they'll do it like uh, the way they usually do is like being nibbled to death by ducks. They'll take a cut and say, you can't sell a house with an old wood stove in it. You, if you deinstall de it, you have to install a new one that's certified. Do you expect being in the business that at some point they're going to say it's illegal to have them at all? I think certain jurisdictions are going to, like you see around Arizona and California, but at a federal or state level, no. In fact, federally, they're still praising wood stoves as renewable energy and giving people tax credits to do them. So they're making them more stringent. They're making the, the testing more stringent. They're making it more expensive by having them have to keep retesting. Um, but right now, the current thing is they love to say it's renewable energy and we're going to back renewable energy so they're incentivizing it for now um, but there are certain jurisdictions that will probably well probably and, and try this on for size matthew i lived in eugene a couple of times in my career i've lived in spokane a couple of times now those places that have inversions where cold air gets packed down next to the surface warm air comes on top and and you've got an inversion the wind doesn't blow and they say okay Mm -hmm. During the time, and that's usually when it's the coldest. So they say, during these cold times, you're not allowed to use your, your wood-burning appliance unless it is the only source of heat in your house. So unless you have an entirely wood-heated house or unless the power has gone out, they tell you during the coldest times of the year you can't burn your fireplace. True. Now, how insane is that? Uh, it's ridiculous. It really is. And I can't disagree with that. I've been battling that for 28 years. Uh, the only thing that's crazier than that is the different jurisdictions trying to ban natural gas. And that's, that's a whole bunch of less logic. You know, they want to burn more natural gas to make electricity at 49% efficiency, but tell you not to put a 95% efficient furnace in your new home you're building. And by the way, Matthew, you, should, you should know when they say you want, you want to build, burn more natural gas for electricity, as of two years ago, the state legislature in Oregon said you can't install any new natural gas-powered electric plants, and you can't expand right. the ones you already have. So they're... You know, when Correct. people say, well, we'll just burn natural gas and make electricity. No, you won't, because they've banned building the plants, new plants, and they've banned expanding the old plants. So that option is out. I, I honestly think the Democrats want us to freeze to death in the dark. 
Well, they, they, they like to create chaos so they can seem like they're solving a problem. Exactly. Matthew, thanks for the call. It's Wednesday, and it's the Radio Northwest Network, and you're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network, of course. The Lars Larson. Quiet, please. Ladies and gentlemen. You ready for the big show? Right. In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Lars. And now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to get to your phone calls and emails. We'll do that in just a moment at 866-HEY-LARS. And welcome to the Radio Northwest Network, serving the Northwest for 24 years, and it's a pleasure to be with you today. If you're a naysayer, well, we'll put you right to the head of the list at 866-439-5277. You can send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com, and you can vote in our poll on X, used to be called Twitter, should striking union workers get unemployment checks yes it's the crazy brainstorm of a couple of democrats in olympia they think that when workers go on strike and voluntarily unemploy themselves they should get unemployment even though they're not looking for jobs and nor are they available to work but you can find the question i voted no they shouldn't get the benefits it's brought to you by ultimate truck services if you rely on trucks for business ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right find them at ultimatetruckservice.com it's a real pleasure to welcome back to the program our friend ben west and ben ben actually wrote something very strident to some of his county commissioner friends in a county next door ben welcome back Hi there, uh, Lars. Thank you for having me today. And by the way, I should say uh, Clackamas County Commissioner Ben West, but what you wrote uh, to uh, you know, Vega Peterson, the chair of the Multnomah County Commissioner, I'm losing confidence in your ability as Multnomah County Chair to lead Oregon's largest county. Your failures impact the entire state. They are numerous and don't happen in a vacuum. This recent debacle, and what you're talking about is the juvenile detention place called Donnelly Long, had an emergency generator so that when the power went out, the temperature would not fall to freezing, you know, because even though I think sometimes juvenile delinquents deserve punishment, uh, we, we, constitutionally, legally, ethically, and morally, you don't lock them up in a cell at 32 degrees uh, freezing temp. Uh, and yet they, they let their emergency generator run out of fuel. Yeah, that's my understanding. And why am I really upset about this? Why do, why am I really speaking out is that we contract at times with other detention facilities, especially for youth, when appropriate to different counties. And we had um, Clackamas County youth there, and they didn't have the wherewithal to call our county to say, hey, we have some of your youth that you're responsible for that we're, that we're helping you with. Can you help us make sure that they're in livable conditions that are safe and healthy? They, the board, of, the board of commissioners, the Multnomah County Board of Commissioners, they weren't even notified of this. It was an extended period of time, and um, this was just right after 
Multnomah County on Wednesday when it was still sub-freezing levels finally had people sheltered. Not everybody that was sheltered was homeless. Sometimes they just don't have heat or anywhere else to go because electricity was out. They were sheltered. They were safe. They didn't plan appropriately, and while it was still sub-freezing, they let people. They re, they 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 released people back onto the streets. They released people. They kicked them out. While a bunch of bureaucrats get to be cozy at home and work from home because of the weather, people who are the most vulnerable, who who need access to a safe place to keep warm, were kicked out on the streets. And right after that, we hear that children that are um, in the care of the system were basically in a giant cinder block fridge for an extended period of time where the blankets wouldn't even keep them warm. And I, and some of Clack, and there were Clackamas County kids that were stuck in that environment. It is just the litany of failure week after week, the constant reporting of Jessica Vega Peterson's inability to be the administrator and the executor of that county is impacting all of us to the and point by the way, where the way, one of the things I was, I mean, the, the daily dead fish wrapper disappoints me all day long and twice on Sunday, the, the, the Oregon, Oregon Live. But they did the story in which they documented that, yes, John Donnelly Long Juvenile Detention Center has an emergency generator. Yes, it ran out of fuel. What their reporter forgot, the who, what, when, where, and why, is, well, if it ran out of fuel, how big is the fuel tank? How long is it designed to last? And was it full when the, when the freezing temps and the snow and the ice arrived? Because we had days of warning. And you would think if they said, well, the fuel tank was completely full and we ran out and they couldn't get a truck there because of the conditions, you kind of wonder that doesn't sound like very adequate preparation. What I wonder is whether they decided to go cheap and say, well, we've got a 3,000-gallon tank, but we'll put 500 in it because we don't use it all that often. And if we ever have an emergency, we'll fill it up then. Do you know any of those details? Yeah, in comparison, Clackamas County knew the storm was coming. It just wasn't a surprise. Not only did we have no everybody who needed shelter got it, but then they also got wraparound services if they needed them for continual care if they struggle with homelessness or any other um, crisis in their life. So we used that opportunity to do better outreach to a community that needs it the most. We had nobody get hurt. We had nobody that needed shelter denied at all. We were prepared because that's what good local government is supposed to do. This was not a surprise. And Multnomah County is swimming in cash right now to prepare for moments like this specifically with this population. It's so bad in Multnomah County that Commissioner Dr. Murin just asked the governor to take over the local health authority because she has also lost confidence in Jessica Vega-Peterson and the bureaucracy's ability to do the very basic obligations of local government. And i got to tell you something. The, the elites always seem to prepare themselves. You know that Kate Brown decided to have emergency backup power powered by natural gas installed the governor's mansion. Apparently, we we embarrassed Governor Kotek enough that she put the thing on hold. So now the emergency generator bought and paid for is sitting somewhere in storage because she doesn't want to install it. But on the other hand, what she's supposed to do with, you know, a, a very expensive emergency generator. And then I was alerted by Herman Bertschiger, you know, from the Oregon legislature. He said, this just shows you that Senator Dembro and the others have a small bandwidth of life experience in 2017 the legislature spent millions installing a cat 12 cylinder generator under that big you know the big span of grass in front of the state capitol and a thousand gallon fuel tank uh, of diesel fuel to power this thing 
And you say, well, what's wrong with diesel fuel? I think there's nothing wrong with diesel fuel. But the folks who've got the majorities in both houses say, oh, fossil fuels, they're evil. We don't touch them unless we want our own lights to stay on, unlike the commoners out there who just get stuck with power outages. So the, the, the view of the elites is really nasty. And by the way, the other thing the state capital did, because it's heated by natural gas boilers, is apparently they put in a 5,000-gallon backup tank to make sure the state capital stays warm, even if the rest of the state is in, a, is in an icebox. And then you lock kids up at a detention center, and, and, you, and you don't put enough fuel in the tank to last for a couple of days or have some backup alternative arrangements. I mean, this just sounds like it's, it's a clown show. It, it's a moral failure. And, a more, and it's uh, incompetent leadership. Well, as I'm wondering if really quick, can I give you an update on our de de uh, Department of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion in Clackamas County? I'll tell you what, we're going to hit a break here in just a second, and I've got something coming up. But I'll tell you what, I, I want to get you back on to talk about that, Ben. Let's do that another day. But I will tell you this, Clackamas County eliminated its Department of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, and save the taxpayers a million bucks. We'll get the long story from Ben later. Glad to have you with me on a Wednesday. Always glad to take your calls from all over the Pacific Northwest. 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at lawrencelarson.com. And you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Just your volume. He's just that loud. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And I'll get to some of your phone calls here in just a moment. But I want to ask you about this. It has been true for at least the last six months that I know of that illegal aliens have been allowed to fly on American commercial airliners, oftentimes with people like you who are also flying on them. Except that when you get to the airport and you show up at the TSA security line and they say, I need to see picture ID. If you say, I forgot my driver's license at home or I forgot my passport, whatever picture ID you are going to use, they're going to tell you you can't fly without picture ID. Now, I think there is a process if somebody were mugged or lost their wallet or whatever. But the bottom line is most American citizens are treated like second-class citizens compared to the way that illegal aliens are treated in Joe Biden's America. Because we now have millions of illegals in the country and at least 400,000 of them are allowed to get on a commercial airline flight with no picture ID whatsoever. And the only thing they check is they ask the illegal alien, what is your name and what is your date of birth? Well, when the illegals come into America, oftentimes they're throwing away their picture ID because they're actually from Cuba or some other country and they don't want CBP to know where they're from, so they throw away their picture ID. When the CBP encounters them, they then say, who are you? And you could literally say, why, I'm Joseph R. Biden and I'm from Guatemala. And they would write that down. That goes into the system, and when that illegal shows up at the airport, then they say, what's your name? And you say, my name is Joseph R. Biden, and I'm from Guatemala. And they say, yep, sure enough, that's what the record shows. No picture ID, and they take whatever name was given to the Border Patrol when they intercepted this illegal alien invader, 
And now that becomes his official identity without any picture or any government idea connected to it. I think that puts American lives at risk. Anyway, before I get into more details on that, I want to invite you to the conversation. It is the best conversation in talk journalism. You find it right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to be a naysayer, haven't had any good naysayers, haven't had any naysayers today, uh, why we're willing to have you on the program and we'll put you first in line. Just be prepared for a few questions about whatever it is you disagree with me about. So, you want to join the conversation? 866-439-5277. If you want to send an email, it's talk at LarsLarson.com. We changed from a Twitter poll to the poll on X, since that's the new name of Twitter. The poll on X can be found at Lars Larson Show and also on our website at LarsLarson.com. But I'll give you more details on that in a moment. I want to grab a couple of calls. First of all, let's go to Pinball. Hey, Pinball, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Oh, here, let me take those. Oh, hello, Lars. How are you? Thank you. Thank you. Since the producers tell people not to be on speaker, because then you sound like you're on your way to Mars. Um, what's uh, on your mind? Okay. I don't know much about politics, except maybe high school civics. Now, first of all, I have like three questions to the same subject. Number one, how in the state like Oregon do you get a job on the election commission or counting the votes? Or do some states, and is it legal, to hire an outside CPA firm who, as you would say, has no dog in the fight just to count the votes? Like, I own a business, you own a business. It does. Arizona, for example, Arizona in Maricopa County, for example, uses an outside contractor that actually counts the votes. Do I think that's legitimate? No. Do I think there's a political mm -hmm. bias? Yes. And I would base that on the fact that Maricopa County has, which is 62% of Arizona's population, has used an outside company. It was a company that used to build, uh, print handbills and church newsletters and things like that. And then they found out that printing ballots and making ballot counting machines were a lot more lucrative. So they went that direction, except that the owner of that firm makes huge contributions to the Democrat Party. So do you think I should be suspicious? Because when you hand it off to an outside company or outside firm and you say, but we don't have to worry that they'll be politically biased, Pinball, I think you're severely mistaken when you think that they're not mm. going to be biased. And and it could be biased either way. In this case, uh, the, the, the owner of that company actually makes uh, big contributions to the Democrats. And then all of a sudden, Democrats win in an otherwise conservative state like Arizona. Do you think I should be suspicious? Yes, but I would think that, like, say, okay, you've been being business. Okay, most of the money you don't even handle goes straight to your account, your accountant. And if your accountant says, okay, you have this much profit, this much loss, this account's receivable, this account, they have no dog in the fight. Yes, they do. They know. Yes, they do. And, Pinball, okay. let me tell you why. If you are living in a liberal state, California is a good example, and you're in a liberal county, and the county commissioners are mostly Democrats and liberals, who makes the decision which company gets the job counting the ballots? Well, that would be a bunch of Democrats. Mm. And do they take campaign contributions? Why, yes, they do. How can you make sure that they think well of your election-counting company? Well, you make some contributions to those Democrats. Maybe you make sure you have a lot of Democrats on your staff, and they understand that you're part of their team. So even that, where you say, well, you don't know where the money's coming from, if the money is coming from government pinball, 
you better know where it's coming from. And if the government is run by liberal Democrats, you know exactly where it's coming from. I appreciate the calls. Thanks. Let's go to uh, Angie in Nevada. Hey, Angie, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars. Thanks for taking my call again. We spoke yesterday. I don't know if you remember the conversation. I I do not. And normally we limit people to one call a day. But what's on your mind? Well, then I have my one call for the day. I just want to make a comment regarding the unions. My husband and I work at a, a union print shop in our town. And so we've been members of the union. But what I find is that most union members tend to be more Republican. But the union leadership seems to always endorse Democratic, uh, Democrat candidates. So I just wanted to make that comment and see what you think. Well, I, I think that overall, I... I know certain trades or certain uh, bargaining units that are mostly conservative people. And then you have this mystery, Angie. And, and here's the mystery. What generically, what is a union for? What is it supposed to do for you if you're a member? Well, for me, the benefits are great. Even though they cost a, you know, quite a bit of money, you do get uh, opportunity for a really nice benefit. Okay, but that's package. not what I'm asking. Um, are, is the union supposed to represent you? Yes. Okay. Now, yes. if you're a conservative, why would you ever hire a liberal to represent your point of view? Yeah, that's exactly my point. Well, because the union members simply take it for granted. They say, I'm in this union. Uh, I, I joined when I came to work here and I don't know nothing. And so I don't, you know, so the union takes my money. They spend a little bit of it on representing me and they spend most of it on politics and they give it mostly to people that I completely disagree with. I just ask Andy, with due respect to people who are in unions, how dumb would you have to be to say, I've hired somebody to represent me, and he takes most of the money I give him, and he gives it to Democrats that I completely disagree with? Why would you ever do that? Yeah. No, I absolutely agree, and I hope that's something that can change. But It can change, but union, union members have to wake up. You have to stand up at a union yeah, meeting and say, hey, this year, since most of us are conservative Republicans, we'd like most of our union money and political donations to go to, to Republicans and conservatives who will actually represent us. And if the union says no, then vote them out of existence. Angie, thanks for the call. 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. The Lars Larson Show. When he talks, you have no choice but to listen. More with Lars. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And in full disclosure, I own guns. I believe in the Second Amendment. When I'm away from my home, I carry a gun. When I'm at home, I have a gun. So I definitely have a dog in the fight when it comes to issues involving the Second Amendment. Gun Owners uh, of America does a fantastic job of representing people. And I don't have any dog in the fight there. But I like Monty Bowen with Gun Owners of America. Uh, Monty, welcome back to the program. How are you? Hey, doing great. Thanks for having me on today. Hey, I want to ask you about this because despite the fact that gun regulation doesn't do anything to solve the problems of crime, we continually have people 
uh, both in Capitol Hill and in the state legislatures around America, that are constantly saying if we just write some more rules uh, that we will be able to stop violent crime, which they like to call gun crime. I don't believe the gun is committing a crime. I believe a person is. I think you need to control persons, not guns. But can we expect that Republicans are going to actually stand up and have a backbone when it comes to fighting some of the efforts of the Democrats and Joe Biden in particular to try to put more restrictions on the civil rights of Americans? Well, and that's the whole thing is trying to get that the, you know, we've got to get the true Republicans to stand up because we have so much misrepresentation in the rhino part of it. And that's the that's the scary part is that we don't know who is on the rights of the common person. And. We fight that on a continuous day-to-day basis, and, you know, we really have to work together on getting the right people and not just voting on emotions and names. You've got to get the right people that are for the American people, because you're exactly right. Gun control only stops a law-abiding citizen. It does nothing for the criminal. Well, and the other concern I've got is not so much the Congress, because I am worried about the Congress and about whether Republicans will show a backbone. And when the Democrats say, we want to, you know, control this or control that, uh, I worry about the uh, the Republicans actually having the state, you know, stick to itiveness to say we're not going to allow that, and they still control the House of Representatives, so that is possible, even if they don't control the Senator Joe Biden. But I also worry about the bureaucracy because so much of the bureaucracy, like the ATF, has decided to go to war on Americans, and they're an executive branch agency under control of Joe Biden. So when he says. And and he's done this recently. He's gone after gun dealers around America, trying to put out put as many of them out of business as he can. And I think you and I have talked about that. We've literally lost thousands of FFL licensed dealers in the last couple of years uh, because because they're adopting a hard standard not approved by Congress that says we'll put you out of business if you make a simple type typographical error. How do we fight back against that? You see, that was the whole point of us doing the ATF defunding program and trying to push hard on that because the ATF really has turned their back on the American people, and they're making up laws and regulations and making people criminals overnight. They do not have the authority to do so. Congress is the one that makes the laws. That's why we push hard against that. The ATF funding expires on March 8th, and, you know, the Republicans are going to have to, if they reauthorize the gun control attacks with the F, F, with the ATF, they're going to have to get something out of it, and they're going to have to look long and hard because they have attacked our FFLs tremendously, even like even the statewide state in Washington. Washington's coming after the Washington state's coming after the FFLs based on their buildings and wanting them to have certain degree of of building structure and security. And this right there is an added cost when they've already hit them with an assault weapons ban, which we are fighting in the Seventh Circuit and hopefully getting our chance at the U.S. Supreme Court on that one. Well, about that change, because there's a good example of where Democrats will say, as they have in that case, they've said, well, we want to have more security. But then, then you find out that the devil's in the details. They, you say, what do they mean by more security? And they say, we'd like every gun store, and this is actually their proposal, every gun store must record all audio and all video inside all parts of any store that sells firearms. You say, okay, how many cameras? Uh, a lot. And how long do they have to keep the video and the audio? And the answer is six years. Now, most police body cam video is only kept for 90 days, but they want the gun store to keep it for six years. And you say, well, look, I know that storage, you know, computer storage is a lot cheaper than it used to be, 
But the, I've seen estimates from small, small stores that say to store, say, a 2,500-square-foot store, so a 50-by-50-size 50 store, 50 feet by 50 feet. Rel it's, we're not talking Cabela's or Sportsman's or any of those. Um, that's going to take us, you know, literally hundreds of thousands of dollars to put in the cameras, to put in the uh, the recording devices, to put all the records in a fireproof safe. We have to put all of our paperwork in a fireproof safe every night. And gun stores generate thousands of pages of paperwork. And you have to store all the guns every night. Every gun has to go into a fire safe and then be taken out every day. So they say, all we're doing is asking for more security. Except when you talk to the people who run those stores, and I have, they say, if we were to do this, our costs would go up for a small store by about a million dollars the first year and hundreds of thousands of dollars every other year. It doesn't pencil out. We will have to shut down. So it's a gun. It's a de facto gun ban where... <laughs> Everybody in the state that adopts those kind of rules will say, you have a right to own a gun. You just can't find a store where you can actually buy one. Well, see, and Lars, and that's the way they're attacking. They know that once all of our lawsuits for all these assault weapons ban and high-capacity magazine that they call bans, once we get to the U.S. Supreme Court and they rule under the context of Bruin and Heller, they know dang good and well the only way that they can do it, because they're going to lose that long-term battle, is to try to put the FFLs out of business. They're using the ATF to be a no-tolerance policy on simple lines and marks and abbreviations, and then they're going to use their, their state legislation to tax ammo out of control or, like you said, make such stringent um, circumstances on the FFLs that they literally are going to be put out of business by state laws and by federal laws. And then what happens is, even if you say, well, one, you know, in a, in a couple of years, we'll be able to get to the courts and the courts will throw this out. And you say, and by that time, all the stores will be gone. I mean, they will be gone because the financial pressure isn't just a little bit. It's enough financial pressure to, in, in, in the minute the store owner looks at these requirements, as some of them have, and says, hey, these requirements are going to cost me $800,000 the first year. I don't have it. I can't possibly pass that cost on to my customers, so I might as well close down. So the requirements never go into effect effectively because the gun store just says, we're going out of business. And if somebody says, well, Lars, you can still buy a gun out of state, I've done that, but it has to be transferred through an FFL licensee in your state. And if there aren't any, you literally could find a situation where the U.S. Constitution says you have a right to own a gun. If you can find a way to buy one and get it into your state, and if you can't, well, then your your Second Amendment rights are effectively gone. Well, you know, Lars, that brings up a good point. Our Second Amendment is the only one of our God-given rights that is not transferable from state to state. Yep. And we need to take a long look at that because this is exactly where they're going. This is the Democratic 100-year plan, and it's to disarm America. They do not like law-abiding citizens. They come out in open open statements all the time talking about how gun control will not stop criminals from committing crime. But yet they still attack the law-abiding citizen. Me or you are not out committing crimes. We're not out doing heinous things. And we're responsible, active gun owners that carry, and we're out there to protect ourselves, our families, and other civilians that can't defend themselves. And we have to take a stand. And if we don't do it on the grassroots level, and if we don't get active and get into these organizations and make a difference, your time is something you'll never have back. But I promise you, if you, we lose our rights to defend ourselves and own guns, we're going to lose a lot more than just time. 
Yeah, I think you absolutely are right. Thank you very much. That's Monty Bowen, who is with the Gun Owners of America. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Wednesday. Always glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. If you're a naysayer, we'll put you right to the head of the list. We always do, always have, always will at 866-439-5277. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Check out my Instagram feed. Yes, you'll see I have a face for radio. And you're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. want to be at this is the lars larson show welcome back to the lars larson show it's a pleasure to be with you and i'm always glad to get your calls on the radio northwest network this segment of the show well it's brought to you by the folks who can keep your lights turned on this segment is brought to you by the home power generating folks at protect power make sure your loved ones are safe when the power goes out as we found out over the last couple of weeks, the power does go out here in the Pacific Northwest. Call 541-ONAGEN. That's 541-ONAGEN. Now, should striking union workers get unemployment checks? I would say no to that. It's a crazy idea. And as most crazy ideas, it is two bills before the legislature in Olympia, House Bill 1893 in the House, Senate Bill 5777, it guarantees that if you're on strike by your own decision, you're unemployed because you decided to walk off the job, that you're entitled to unemployment payments. Now, I think the Democrats are going to want to pass this. I hope the Republicans stick to their guns and say we're not going to do it. To your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Let's start with Robert. Hey, Robert, what's on your mind today? Hey, Lars, I just heard a gentleman talking about uh, firearms and, and all the rules and regulations, but Yep. I think another thing we got against this is that the dinghy government, anyhow in Washington State here, but as I understand it, other states as well, they keep uh, producing and uh, protecting these well wolves as they claim they're an endangered animal. And I, and, and according to Washington, the elk and deer, and I also see it in Colorado yesterday, was they reported that the elk herds are, de are de being depleted. So my By thought is, and I'm sure it's right, I'm not sure what the connection is there, but, Robert, I appreciate the call. Let's go to Tom in Hillsborough. Tom, thanks for listening on our flagship KXL and the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Well, I just heard that Biden just did a rally with the auto workers. Yep. And they're all supporting him. And isn't that stupid? Well, maybe, do you, do you think the unions will, if the unions do this, they're selling out their own members, aren't they? Yeah. Well, don't these auto workers know that, Joe's trying to cut all these jobs. You know, if they go to electric, there's going to be a lot of auto workers out of work. That's right, because Tom, Tom is right. Tom, the number I like to remind people of, and this comes from the industry. If you say, how many workers does it take to build a car, a number of cars? And they'll give you a number. And then you say, now, how many workers do you need to build electric vehicles, the same number of electric vehicles, and they'll say 60% less labor in an electric vehicle than a uh, an internal combustion engine. And you say, well, does that mean that 
Joe Biden is pushing electric cars that promise to put 60 out of every 100 auto workers out of work? And the answer is yes. So if the union members are stupid enough to let their union spend money to support a guy who's going to put them out of work, then they're fools. And the union members themselves have to stand up and say, you're not giving that guy one damn dime. Give our, all our contributions to Trump. I agree. That's why I'm just, I'm just totally confused that these auto workers are putting up with that crap. Well, but Tom, I mean, I've put it to people for a long time. I think auto workers are smart people. That's a skilled trade to be in. You know, so if, yeah. if the auto workers just say, well, the union says we're supporting Biden and you don't. I mean, any time I've had to hire somebody like a lawyer or an accountant or, you know, I have a young lady, Jeannie, who does all our books. I mean, she's not a full time employee of me, but she does our payroll. She does. She keeps me out of trouble with the tax, with the revenuers. And and so, you know, so but if she one day said, hey, I decided to do something really stupid and crazy with your money. I'd say, you're not representing me, you're fired. Now, I wouldn't fire Jeannie, she does a fantastic job. If you hired a lawyer and you said, hey, I really want to do this, you know, whatever it is you're trying to accomplish, and the lawyer said, hey, by the way, Tom, I decided that your way of handling it was wrong, so I did it my own way and not the way that you told me to. You'd fire that lawyer. You'd probably sue that lawyer because you say, if I'm paying you and you're not representing me, then you're fired. And yet, union workers will tell me all day long, they say, I can't do anything about it. The union made me do it. Do the union workers realize they are the union? And if a majority of them don't want their union to give their donations, their political donations to idiot Democrats, then stand up and say so, like you had a backbone in other parts of your anatomy. I'm just, it's just going to be so sad if, if this goes through. Where Grandpa Joe gets back in there, and all these guys lose their jobs, I'm going to kind of feel well, sorry for them. It'll it'll serve them right. I'm sorry, Tom. If they decide not to act, and their union helps Joe get back in. They deserve it. Let's go to Dave in Hillsborough. Dave, what's on your mind? Hey, I wanted to chat with you about the uh, camera thing in gun stores. We got about one minute till the break, so I'm just giving you a heads up. All right. So I own a business and we have cameras and I got to tell you, those things are brutally expensive and not only expensive, but the fact that you have to store that data and yep. we store that data and we take that data home every single night. And I got to tell you, it's a pain in the rear when that guy goes on vacation because somebody else has to go in there and do that. And, and by the way, by the way, Dave, it's not just the cameras. It's the storage, as you said. Can you imagine storing exactly. six years of audio and video, and all of it must be locked in a fireproof safe every single night, and all of your guns Absolutely have to be locked? Not. Now, that is the bill that's before the legislature, and it's on its way to passing. It is absolutely silly what they are doing to us. And I mean, I just filled out a form for today uh, and even, you know, seven to nine to 12 months wait for something that just literally takes the federal government to look at. They're bound and determined to put every single FFL in America out of business and Washington State wants to beat them to the finish. The Lars Larson.